to you. How are you today? Pathetic. I'm serious. The last service just had you beat by leaps and bounds. Let's try that again. Good morning. Happy Easter. How are you today? There you go. That's more like it. I'm so glad you're here, and I hope those of you who are in overflow that you're cheering as well. We're so glad that you're here. I love Easter. My name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here, and I love Easter. I mean, this is what it all comes down to for us, for the Christian faith, and I love this time of year. There's so much to celebrate, so I just want to let you know we're going to celebrate today the resurrected Jesus, and we're going to experience what it means to be made new in him today. I love this time of year because we get a glimpse of what it means to be made new in Jesus all around us. I love springtime. And I feel as Chicagoans, we earn the right to have spring. And I'm serious. We make 40 degrees feel like 80 around here. We love it. And you can tell like new life is in the air. You can hear it when the birds are chirping out your window and you actually open your windows again. And you know, you can see flowers starting to bloom and the weeds are coming through the sidewalks. It's a beautiful time. Here in Chicago, people come out of hibernation this time of year, and you can tell because they actually sit outside to eat, you know, at every opportunity they get. The, the potholes are growing. It's a wonderful time to be in Chicago in springtime, and I love it because we get glimpses all around us of how things are actually being made new. That's what spring does is it reminds us that things are made new once again. But the question I want you to consider today is, what about you? How are you being made new? We see it all around us, but the real question for us to consider today is, are you actually being made new? All of us have places in our lives need to be made new, so are you actually being made new as everything around you is being made new? Now listen, that desire to be made new is deep within us. I think everyone at some level, a certain level, wants to be made new. And we spend all kinds of time and all kinds of effort and all kinds of energy and all kinds of money to be made new. Do you know that Americans every single year spend over $60 billion on gym memberships? <laughs> we spend over $60 billion on gym memberships. And do you know of those who spend over $60 billion, do you know that 67% of them report to never going to the gym? So we like the thought of being made new. We'll even pay for that idea. We're just not going to go, right? Because we want to be made new. We love that thought. And so the question is for you today, for us to consider is, what do you do to make yourself new? What do you actually do to make yourself new? What are some of the things that you do or maybe a better way to ask it is this, what can you do? What can you really do to make yourself new? Now, people will go to all kinds of lengths to, to do that, to make themselves new. For some folks, you know, they'll get a new job. And they think, if I can just get a new job, new career, you know, then I'll be new. And maybe you've done that recently. You just thought, you know, I just need to change up. These people don't appreciate my skills and abilities. And so you need to kind of move on somewhere else where the, you know, greener pastures and you can have a new career. And yet, you know, for any time you've ever switched jobs, you bring the same old box of you with you everywhere you go. Just new desk, same you, right? Some folks, they go, oh, you know, I need a new relationship. And so they'll kind of move from relationship to relationship and dating relationships, even marriages, even friendships. They'll just kind of swap around and go, as long as I can have someone new with me, then that'll make me at least feel mm. new. For some folks, it's a change of scenery. You got to get out of here. You got to move to a new place, you know, head to the West Coast, right? I support that. I'm with you. I'm right behind you <laughs> in that endeavor. But you know, even just change of scenery. In fact, that may even be what brought you here to Chicago is you had to get out of wherever it was that you were before. 
and you thought by coming to a new city everything would be new, but you know that kind of helps to a certain extent on the outside, but it doesn't do anything to necessarily change what matters most, and that's your soul on the inside. Some of you have a far more spiritual and far less expensive strategy when you want to feel new. You just get 200 bucks and go buy a new outfit. And God bless you in that endeavor. It's like, I feel brand new. And you can feel new for just a brand new outfit, right? But then that wears off and that fades. You all know how that feels. We all long to be new. We'll do all kinds of things to feel new, to be made new. So what do you really do? What can you really do to make you New. This is at the heart of the Easter message, a question we're going to walk through over the next couple moments. We're going to look at what you can actually do today. We're going to give you an opportunity to see how you can be made new so that you can actually experience for yourself at the end of our gathering here today. So what I want you to do right now is I want you to grab a Bible. We're going to look at the uh, crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. I want you to grab a Bible and open to Luke chapter 23. And if you don't have a Bible, we've got you covered. Look at this. Right in front of you, there should be a gray Bible. Do you see that? Or maybe in a seat in front of you, an overflow as well, we've got those. So grab a gray Bible, if you would, and open to Luke 23. It's on page 737 in the gray Bible. Hey, let me say something about this. Those of you who've been around Soul City for a while, you know what I'm about to say. Uh, if you're serious about following God, you're interested in following God, you're curious about God, but you don't own a Bible, here, this is what's so fun and so easy. We got you covered. We want you to steal a Bible from church today. <laughs> Nothing would make us happier than for you to swipe a Bible from church today. I had a guy walk out two services ago and he was walking out and he kind of just flashed it to me like this, like, hey, you know, I was like, that's awesome. It's like, he's like, oh, I'm like, all right, shh, on the down. DL, I got you, I got you. Like, we love when people steal Bibles from church. So if you don't own a Bible and you want to grow in a relationship with God, we've got that. Take a Bible, steal it from church, tell everyone that you went to church tomorrow at work and that you stole a Bible. You'll have bragging rights for years. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, Luke chapter 23. Let me give you context to where we're coming to the story because we're always coming into the story from another story. And so here's where we're at. We're coming to the end of the life of Jesus. His whole life is headed towards the cross. In fact, God sent his only son, Jesus, into this world to be the sacrifice, to be the substitute for our sin, to pay the price for the totality of humanity's depravity. Someone had to pay the price. Something had to be done. And so God sends his son. And Jesus, his whole life was headed to that cross to do for you and me what we could not do for ourselves. We could not cover the debt of our sin. We could not pay the price ourselves. We couldn't do enough good stuff to undo or outdo all the bad stuff we'd done. And so Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And he went to the cross on our behalf. And on his way to the cross, Jesus is betrayed by his friend, Judas denied by one of his closest friends, Peter, abandoned by just about every one of his followers, but a small handful. He's arrested for no good reason, given a mock trial. At his trial, as they're kind of sending him back and forth between different political powers, he's beaten, abused, mocked, made a spectacle of. He suffered more on his way to the cross than you and I can even possibly imagine. Mm. And then they, they nail him to a cross, the execution style of the empire of the day, to make a public spectacle to all to see. And they take him to the place where this, this type of execution was done. It was a hill called Golgotha, just outside the city of Jerusalem. And there they put him between two criminals. The only innocent, purely, truly innocent person to ever walk this earth. And it was there that his body was broken. 
and his blood was shed. And as he breathed his last breaths, we come into the passage I want us to look at this morning. Luke 23, verse 44, this is what it says. It was about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon for the sun had stopped shining. Now, quick pause here. We're reading from the gospel of Luke. Luke gives us lots and lots of details. He wants you to know the who, the what, the why, the how, the when of the story of Jesus. And so he's giving you like specific times so that you know from about noon till about three, he says that the sun stopped shining in the sky. As the son of God was dying on a cross, the sun in the sky stopped shining and darkness filled the land. And it says something else that's really interesting. It says that the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Now, what's that all about? Well, there was an actual curtain in the temple. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. If you want, you can go back and listen. We talked about how the temple was the center of Jewish worship in that day. And at the center of the temple was a room called the Holy of Holies that only one person was allowed to enter one time a year. The high priest would go into the Holy of Holies to make sacrifice, to sacrifice, to cover the sins of all of the people. So one person, one time a year would enter into the Holy of Holies to make that sacrifice, to pay the price for the sins, symbolically, the sins of their people. And there, that very temple, that very curtain was actually torn in two, literally, but also symbolically letting us know that there is now nothing to separate us from God. That there's nothing to keep you at a distance from relationship with God. And so Luke wants to make sure that you get that that happens in that moment. And then verse 46, it says this, in his final moments, Jesus called out with a loud voice. In his final, you have to imagine, the last couple, couple gasps of breath he had, Father, he says, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. And it was there on that cross, in that moment, that the Son of God died, that the exchange was actually made, his righteousness, our sin. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And towards the end of the day, again, all just but a few of Jesus' followers were left. Everyone else had abandoned him, hiding, fearing for their own lives. And so something had to be done with his body. You don't think about these kind of details. And so a couple followers emerged from out of the shadows. These are folks who had followed Jesus at a safe distance. They were uh, religious leaders and kind of had influence in their community. And they feared that if they were associated with Jesus, they would end up with the same fate as Jesus. And so they'd kind of stayed at a distance following Jesus, fascinated with Jesus. And maybe you've actually been doing that for a while yourself, kind of at a distance with Jesus. And so they decided to step out of the shadow and to do something about his body. And so they take his body off of the cross and they had to bury him. Again, no one had made any sort of plans or preparations for this. And so one of these two men actually had a brand new family tomb that he had bought worth a lot of money. And it was going to be for his family to have. And that's where they, his whole family for generations would be buried. And he decided to give that to Jesus as one last gift. And so they went to put his body into this tomb. And the gospel writer John says something really interesting. In the gospel of John, he makes this little note about where this tomb is at. He says that it's actually a garden tomb that it was a tomb in the middle of a garden. Now, terrible idea for backyard landscaping. I don't highly recommend that you should not put a cemetery in your backyard. But in this culture, in that day, it was a beautiful metaphor because what it meant was in this place of death, there was actually life. 
And so John wants you to know that he was buried in a garden tomb, that around this place of death, there was life. And as we're about to see more life than this world could even possibly imagine. And so they quickly prepare him because it's Passover and Passover's coming. The end of the day is coming. They have to get back in and before Sabbath begins. And so they kind of hastily prepared Jesus to stay dead for a long time. But that wasn't all, actually. The Roman uh, officials of that day decided to make sure that nothing would happen to further perpetuate this Jesus, you know, myth that they saw it as, this Messiah mess as they saw it. And so they posted two Roman soldiers outside of his tomb. Now you have to imagine that your career is really on the up and up when they give you the position of watching a dead guy. That's not what we call career advancement. And so these two guys were positioned outside of a tomb to make sure the dead guy stayed dead and to make sure that no one came in to steal the body, but to help them in that, they rolled a giant stone in front of the tomb, a giant stone to cover the entrance of the tomb, sealed it with the signal of the empire so that no one would mess with this supposed Messiah. And then night came and Jesus stayed dead, but not for long. In fact, I want you to look at Luke 24. I love what happens here. And Luke, again, giving us very important details, says this in Luke 24, verse 1. It says, on the very first day of the week, that's after Passover had passed, very early in the morning. Why is that important? Because at the first possible moment, it could happen. As soon as they could break Sabbath, they did. It says this, Luke says the who, the women. You might want to circle that, underline it, exclamation point, star, heart, do whatever you need to do around there. The women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb, and they found the stone for the tomb had been rolled away. Now, why is this so important? Because what Luke wants you to get is that these women knew that men were in charge of preparing Jesus's body a couple days before. And everyone knows that if you want the job done right, you send in a woman. It says so in the Bible, read your Bibles. All right, so here's the deal. They knew they had to go in and do it right. They had to kind of make up for the mess that these men had made. And so they go in there to do that, to properly prepare him. But imagine their shock when they see the stone rolled away. This is not what they expected. Guards are gone. And so they walk into the tomb, verse 3. When they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly, I love this, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. So you have to imagine this. Again, the shock. They, they did not know what to expect. This is not what they had prepared for or planned for. They're standing in, looking into an empty tomb, and then suddenly two angels crashed the party. Literally, angels crashed the party. And I love this idea that the angels just sort of stood next to them and let them kind of peer in for a moment. Like if I had been one of those angels, I'd be like, what are y'all looking at? <laughs> like just kind of, just play along with the moment a little bit, right? So they're standing next to them until the women recognize them. And this is what it says in verse five. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men, these angels actually said to them, I love this. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. And that right there is the exclamation point of Easter. He's not here. He is risen. You don't need to go looking for life in dead places anymore. He's not here. He is risen. Death has been defeated. Sin has been put in its place. He's not here. He is risen. The enemy has been defeated. And now life is available to all. He's not here. Why are you looking for the living in dead places? I love their 
insight and their direction to these women that they could see so clearly that the stone had been rolled away and God had done exactly what he said he would do. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. At the cross, Jesus crucified our sin and in the empty tomb, he defeated death once and for all. The stone has been rolled away. Now listen, I've grown up around the story. Maybe you've heard this story before. I'm familiar with the story. Like I've heard the story my whole life. I love the Easter story. I mean, I, like when I was a kid, I had little Bible books, little pop-up Bible books. You know, the books where the pictures like pop up, like you could pull the tab and slide the stone away. Like that's how invested I am into this story. Okay. I know the story. And so for my whole life, I had just assumed that the reason that God had rolled the stone away was so that Jesus could have a clear exit route, that he could get out of the tomb and go do what he needed to do. It kind of makes sense sense if you think about it. I mean, how much of a bummer would it be where you were to have this like epic biblical dramatic moment of Jesus being raised by God from the dead only to be stuck behind the rock just going, do, do, do. hello, do, do, do. risen savior, <laughs> got some appearances to make. I mean, you can imagine that would not be. So I thought, well, that's why God rolled the stone away so that Jesus could get out and go do what he needed to do. Do you think that's why God rolled the stone away? No, there's not a rock on this planet that can keep a resurrected Savior away from you. There's nothing in this world. No temple curtain. No rock. No sin. No part of your past. No broken relationship that could ever keep a resurrected Savior's love from entering into your life. The stone wasn't rolled away so that Jesus had a clear exit route. The stone was rolled away so that you could walk in and see that death has been defeated once and for all and that sin has been put in its place and that you don't have to keep going and looking for life in dead places anymore. That's the exclamation point of Easter. The tomb is empty. The stone is rolled away so that you can go in and see for yourself that nothing is going to keep God from you. Nothing will keep him from you. Yeah, why aren't more people clapping at that? It's like the whole point of Easter. So listen, listen. How is it then that you can be made new? What does this have to do with you being made new? This resurrected Savior, the one who defeated death and put old things in their place and brought new life with him. Well, let me just kind of explain this to you this way. Uh, when you think about what it means to be made new in this world, and the shot that you have, the odds that you have of actually being new in this world, there's actually, it's really clear, the way that you are new in the way that this world works. When it comes to the way that this world works, you only actually get to be new one time. The way this world works, you only get to be new, like made new, once. Anyone want to guess when that is? When you're born. Yeah, it's not a trick question. When you're born. That's the only time in the way of this world that you actually get to be made new. And guess what? You had very little to do with it. You just sort of showed up. You looked great. You looked cute. Your parents took pictures, but you didn't make that happen. You just sort of, that's it. You just appeared on the scene. According to the way of this world, that's the only time you actually get to be new in this world. And now listen to this. After that, it's all downhill. <laughs> After you're born and brand new, I mean, it's really, you begin the slow, steady march to the grave. 
after you're born and are new one time. No, listen to me. You peaked already. You peaked the day you were born. It's all downhill after that. Like a brand new car being driven off the lot, you have been depreciating every day of your life. Now, aren't you glad you came to Easter to hear an uplifting, positive message like this, right? But think about it for real. According to this way of this world, you're only brand new one time and there's nothing you can actually do about it. And you can't go back to that moment. It already happened. You don't even remember it. But praise God, that's not the way of Jesus. Because you can be made new today. You can be made new again. You can be made new after all that you've done. You can be made new no matter how old you are. Listen, you can be 80 years old and be brand new in Jesus today. You can be made new no matter all that you've said or all that you wish you would have done or all that you regret that you've done. You can actually be made new in him today. See, that's the way of a resurrected Jesus. All things, all people get to be made new new from the inside out. It's not something you can do for yourself. According to this world, you only get to be new once. According to Jesus, you can actually be made new from the inside out starting today. See, Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection are your invitation to transformation. Let's say that again. Jesus' crucifixion, what we talked about on the cross, and his resurrection, being raised by God from the dead, are actually your invitation to transformation, to being made new, to salvation, to new life. And you may be thinking, maybe the story you're telling yourself is, oh, but you don't know what I've done. I don't even know if God knows all the stuff I've done. There's no way he would ever say yes to me. Well, the cross and the empty tomb are his yes to you. He's already said yes to you. So the question is, will you say yes to him? Will you actually finally say yes to new life? whole life in him. See, this is a reality that's woven all throughout the New Testament. It's what life looks like now in this new way of Jesus, the exclamation point of Easter. It's what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when he says this. The apostle Paul says these words brilliantly and beautifully. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. That newness, that new self made available through Jesus is actually already here. Now I want us to read this last sentence together, but we're all gonna read it out loud. So I want everyone in this room, I want everyone in our overflow spaces, because this is really, really, really important stuff. So I'll lead you up and then you can join with me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Now listen to that. That's true for you. That's not just for super spiritual people. That's not just for Christians who actually like heard this verse before today. It's for you. It's for me. You can be made new. That thing that your soul so desperately desires, that we try all kinds of external ways to make happen on our own, it's already been done for you. You can actually be made new. And I love when I get to hear and see stories of New life here at Soul City. I mean, we've banked our whole church on that idea. That anyone and everyone can be made new in Jesus. And we get glimpses of this, of how God's doing this. And I love, I just want to share a few of them. I think of Molly, who's been a part of our church now for about a year. And came here with her daughter. And, you know, she'd grown up around religion. 
Um, but it was always kind of around religion, you know what I mean? Like it was never like, it never felt personal for her. It never felt like it was for her. Maybe you can relate to that. She was like, felt like she was doing all the religious stuff for everyone else, but it wasn't changing her life. Maybe you felt that before. And so Molly comes here and hears about the outrageous love of Jesus and what it means to actually have a relationship with Jesus. And so what she does is she takes a really risky move and gets into a small group, a circle of women that she shares her life with. And in their faces and in their lives, she got to see as she sat in a sacred circle with them what new life really looks like. These are ordinary, everyday, not perfect people. But Molly got to see what new life can actually look like in them. And so she decided that's what she wanted for herself. And so listen, here's what she did. She upgraded from religion to relationship with Jesus. And she is actually being made new in a transformational relationship with Jesus. She's being made new from the inside out. I think of David, who's been a part of Soul City for a little while now. And recently David was uh, unexpectedly laid off from Warglossa's job. Maybe you can relate to that. That's happened to you before. That's not a thing that you... Everything is going to happen until it happens, and then you don't know what to do. Got a wife and a family, and you know, he had a real choice in that moment. Is he going to sort of give up on God and go, Well, thanks a lot, God. I don't know why you allowed this to happen. And walk, maybe you've done that before. Or is he going to dive in with God and say, No, actually, I want to I depend on you like never before in my life. And so what David chose to do is to dive in and say, God, I'm actually going to cling to you like you've got everything that I need. I'm going to deepen my dependence on you. And he's actually being made new by having his trust in God deepen and grown in a way that he never probably would have chosen on his own. But because of it, he's actually being made new in his dependence on God. I think of... Sharon, who's a part of our church and been coming here for a little while now and uh, quite unexpectedly as a child, she lost both of her parents. And as she grew up, so grew a bitterness in her heart and anger towards God under the assumption that God was the one who took her parents away from her. And walked pretty far away from, from God. And maybe you've suffered that kind of loss too, an unexpected loss where you just go, God, where are you? Are you even on the job right now? And so she started coming around here this last year and hearing about God's unbelievable love and how God is actually a perfect father. And what she began to see was that it wasn't God who had allowed her parents or took her parents away, but it was actually God who had carried her through all these years and was the reason why she was even still here today. So this last December, she said, well, then I want to know this God personally, intimately. And so she decided to begin a relationship with Jesus this last December. And, and what she's finding is that she's being made new from the inside out. God is healing lifelong wounds. And God is redeeming her story and writing a better story. She's being made new from the inside out, even through some of the toughest loss that you could even possibly imagine. Look, I know what this is like personally. I, I need to be made new. I just even think over the last couple of weeks as I've, 
been preparing for our time here together on Easter Sunday morning and, you know, feeling Easter is so important, so significant, and I want to do my very best. And what I've found over the last couple of weeks is I've been over-revving and like working really hard and thinking that this is like on me, that if I don't have the perfect sermon, you guys, everyone's like going to go to hell and it's not going to work. Like I just way overdoing it, right? <laughs> way overdoing it. We're going to let everyone know about God's love. Like that's just not a great strategy. We need more neon. Like, just not, a, not, not helpful to anyone. Not helpful to anyone. So I found myself just getting, it's heavy. And I found myself going back to an old pattern for my life, which I've talked about here before, which is that it's my assumption that it's my job to work for God. And I just found myself going, God, that's an old way. I need a new way. I want to work with you in this world, God. I want to work with you. I want it to be light and I want it to be delightful and not live under the assumption of my old beliefs that it's all about me and I have to impress God by doing a really good job for him on Easter Sunday. I need to be made new. Even as I was preparing my thoughts to talk to you about me and being made new, I was being made new by God. We all need to be made new. And so the question is, what are you going to do to be made new? You're going to keep trying all the other things in your life and all the things that you thought kind of externally would lead to it, or are you going to trust the one thing that can actually make all things new? Because see, that's at the heart of the Easter message. Jesus is the only thing that can make all things new. He is the only thing in this world that can make all things in your life, all things in this world, new. Through his death and his resurrection, you can actually be made new. And I wonder what those parts of your life might be that you need to have made new. Maybe it's part of your past that you've kind of kept locked up, hidden away. You don't talk about, you've tried to even keep hidden from God, but maybe God's inviting you to be made new and to have that part of your story redeemed, have a new chapter written. Maybe it's relational stuff for you in your world. There's some relational tension or drama. Maybe it's in your family or maybe it's with a coworker. And you know, this family drama stuff like can play on for years and years and no one even totally knows what it's about or where it came from. And you don't even think it's ever gonna end until like some of these folks start dropping off. Like you don't know how this is all gonna end. Do you know that you can actually be made new even in the midst of that? You can have new peace, new perspective. Listen to this, you can have new self-control so that you don't always say just what comes to the tip of your tongue when you think it. You can be made new, even in the midst of family drama. Or maybe it's your marriage, maybe your marriage has drifted. Or maybe it's up against the ropes. And you can kind of keep pointing fingers to figure out how you got here, but maybe what you really need is to be made new. Maybe what you really need is to have a redo on your I do's. Do you know God can do that? He can do that for your marriage. He can redeem it. He can renew it. He can rebuild it on a new foundation built on a cross and an empty tomb. Your marriage can actually be made new. There's hope in him. Maybe for you, it's just your very life. You look at your life and you go, man, listen, I don't, I, I categorically need to be made new. And you would say that about yourself. You've kind of, hit enough dead ends, you've burned enough bridges, come to the end of yourself, and you're exhausted from doing all this on your own energy and your own strength. 
You've run out of strategies. You're tired of running from God. Do you know that you can actually be made new, whole and alive in Jesus today? Here's the beautiful thing about all this is the God who who made you, the one who knit you together, who wove you together, who so beautifully and uniquely created you and brought you into this world, the same God who made you can actually make you new today. The God who made you can actually make you new today. He can and he will if you will say yes to him. See, he's already said yes to you. So will you say yes to him today and be made new? And so we want to give you a moment to reflect on where you need to be made new and how you need to be made new. And and we want to do that through a really creative way. We want to allow God to shine a light on this so that we can actually be able to name where we need to be made new. And so what I want you to do is at the end of each aisle, there should be a little jar with these little lights in them. Would you grab that and begin passing that down your aisle? And here's the deal with these little lights. You don't need to turn them on right now. You just need to hold them, all right? Because we're going to have a moment in a minute. So you don't need to turn them on. You don't need to like play with them. You don't need to put them in your pocket or put them in your nose. Just hold on to them, all right? And like, really, just don't turn them on just yet. And just so you, I I can see you. So like, if you're turning on, just so you know, I can see you. So all right, so keep it off. Because we're actually going to have a really fun moment, a reflection moment in a minute. And so here's what I... Here's what I want you to do. I want you to just hold on to this for a moment. I want you to think about your life and where you need to be made new and what you're going to do today about that. Will you say yes to the exclamation point of Easter and allow yourself to be made new in him? The band's going to come and sing a song over you, but before they do, I want to pray and lead us and prepare us for that time. So as you just hold this quietly in your hand and then allow me to pray for us, let's do that together right now in a moment of reflection. Jesus, light of the world, thank you that you are the one who makes us new. It's through your death and your resurrection that we actually have a shot at new life in you. Thank you that you left the cross empty, you left the tomb empty, and you've come to fill our lives, that there is nothing that can separate us from you. And so help us to say yes to you. Help us to say yes to new life in you today. Help us to come to the altar where we find your arms open wide for us, where we can receive your love and your forgiveness and a new start in you. And God, I pray for every person who's come to the end of themselves, whatever that may be or whatever that may look like, that they would have the courage today they would lower their defenses, they would loosen the grip on their stubbornness and pride, that they would come out of hiding, and that they would say yes to you today, and that they would be made new. So help us come to the altar right now and to find and receive what only you can do for us. It's in your name that we pray.